Hello and welcome. You are listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. We really hope that you enjoy and benefit from this episode. So, hello folks and welcome to another episode from the Sales Chat Show, saleschatshow.com, driving your sales forward. In the Sales Chat Show studio, I am Simon Hazeldean, opposite me is Mr. Graham Jones, and to my right, Mr. Phil Jessen, just in case you needed to know the seating plan. Uh, our, our listeners don't know why. Don't know why I even mentioned that, but they were. It might be because it's in stereo. You need to yes. know who's left and right. Yeah. So, so, so. Out of the right speaker. <laughs> so, so thousands, now, thousands of people are now drawing that diagram. Just, just orientate you to our seating positions. I shall make sure we update you into our seating arrangements in every episode going forward. This this episode, he says, desperately trying to pull it back together is called Are You Being Frightened Into Dropping Your Price to Get the Sale? We're thinking that our listeners here will often identify with this feeling of pressure, maybe a fear, desire to, I must get this sale, I must get this sale closed. If I drop my price, maybe this is going to get it. But we just want to challenge your thinking or explore your thinking here to make sure that if you are considering discounting and we're not saying never we're just saying it should be done in a far more considered manner and probably less frequently if at all than maybe it is being done now and we're just going to explore a few themes that might be putting you under pressure making you a little bit fearful that you need to drop the price and let me kick this off. I think sales managers, sales leaders sometimes have a, have a key role here, both in a positive and a negative way. Everybody listening will be only too familiar with the, we must get this closed by the end of the month, we must get this closed by the end of the quarter, or even more pressure, we must get this in by year end. Now, we're not saying that having financial reporting and having periods is necessarily wrong. However, they do sometimes create a real feeling of pressure on sellers and on sales managers and sales leaders. Up it, up it goes in the organization. We've declared a number or we're behind a number and we need to, we need to make it happen. Now, we've got to be very careful here, Phil. Don't allow Graham to get onto his why you shouldn't have sales targets so oh, much. That you word know, again. No, he's we... gonna he's gonna go. But there is some truth there. I mean, to, to, to be fair to, to, to Graham's point, and should you scrap sales targets episode, must listen to folks. We keep mentioning it, so we had a bit of an argument on, on that one. But yeah, it does. This this sometimes artificial number or target or whatever is driving. So if if you're a sales director listening to this, then what what are you asking the sales director to now do on this point? I think you should be having a, you should be having more honest conversations with your salespeople, qualifying opportunities better, and having a, a much better control of your sales pipeline and your sales forecast. Forecast things predicted to close within a period, pipeline longer term. So you've got, a, I think, a really good realistic view of what you've got. So you're not declaring things to the business that are a bit 
Mm. Overly ambitious, overly hopeful. I understand the pressure, but you're going to have to have a tough conversation at some stage if an opportunity is not going to come in. I think I'm just saying choose, choose when you're going to yeah, be having those conversations. Your customer is trying to scare you into buying by the into selling by the end of the month yeah. because they need to fulfil their monthly targets. I mean, guys, how many and industries have, do we all work in that operate on a monthly, quarterly, whatever it is, period? Mm. And guess what? Customers are educated and trained sometimes by sellers to wait until these period ends yeah. in order because they know they're going to get a discount. I think that's certainly the case in the uh, in the Western world. I think some of our uh, Japanese friends have a more enlightened view. long yes. term, yeah, yeah. long term, and, yeah. and a rolling business year as opposed to one that works towards a finish line. Mm. I mean, you, you see, the thing is, if you if your customer wants to buy this item. And we're approaching, you know, it's the 29th of the month and the kind of pressure is, well, if I give them a discount, they'll buy by the end of the month and I can then go to my boss and say, you know, I've closed so many sales this month. Well, guess what? Your customer wants to buy that item. They'll still buy it on the first of the next month. If they need the item, they're going to buy the item. So buyers don't have artificial kind of deadlines. We set those artificial deadlines, which forces us into giving discounts to meet the artificial targets we've been set. Yeah, and so, I think this, this is my point about you've got to have reality-based yeah. conversations and, and sort of like nonsense-free, being polite yeah. conversations and, and have, have a better business. It'll be very interesting, back to Phil's comments about, you know, Japan, etc. Hofstede's cultural dimensions, you know, short-term cultures versus long-term cultures. It'll be fascinating to see if some of the short-time cultures like the USA, etc., whether there is more focus and effort versus the, the longer time horizon cultures like the Chinese, Japanese. Maybe we're kind of victims of a bit of a cultural norm yeah. here that may yeah. may not necessarily be in the long-term interests of the financial I think that's probably the case. And so that's an internal pressure. So I yeah. think for, for salespeople, um, have those conversations with your sales manager, your sales leader, sales managers, sales leaders. Just consider. We're not saying don't have these things. Of course, that will be naive of us. We're just saying consider the impact of your behaviour on your people and are you encouraging undue discounting to take place because your salespeople feel fearful that they must get. I think it's also about how you manage opportunities with your salespeople and not pressuring them into closing something sooner, to Graham's point, yeah. I think, than the customers, mm -hmm. customers ready to go. Um, now, uh, Professor Robert Cialdini, his book Influence, the, the Six Principles um, of Persuasion, it's sometimes called, and one of those is scarcity. Now, we often think of scarcity. The more scarce something is, by the way, for, for, if you're not familiar with Cialdini's work, the more scarce something is, the more it's almost emotionally and unconsciously seen as being more valuable. It's used very extensively in marketing. You know, the sale must end Friday. When it's gone, it's gone offers, limited stock, those sort of things. It can, can be used very ethically to, 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 to drive sales. It's also sometimes used unethically to create artificial scarcity. And we tend to think of it as a sales and marketing tactic that is applied to customers. But now let's flip this one round on its head. We are back to customers using scarcity upon us as yeah. sellers. I, scarcity is a, a, basically a survival instinct yes. in that um, our brains think that if it's scarce, we've got to get it now because otherwise we won't survive. So, for example, if food is scarce, you're going to eat it now 
rather than wait till later because otherwise you won't survive. Yeah? So if we can track it back through evolutionary psychology to look at the fact that we're driven by scarcity to, to get whatever is scarce now because it might not be available to us later and that could be a threat to our survival. And so it's a deep-seated kind of instinctive response to things and customers can play that game with us because so they can say, you know, well, we haven't got the budget. Mm. Yeah, we've got this amount of budget and I've got no more. And so we think, well, we've got to push our price down then. We've got a discount in order to fit within their budget because they've got no more money. They're making budget scarce. Yes. Yeah. So their, their kind of scarcity, instinctively, we try and grab that now because otherwise it might not be there in the future. And actually, of course, they've always got more budget. There's always more money available in one way or another. Even if they have to borrow the money, they, if they want whatever it is we're selling, there's always money available some way or another. So we fall into that kind of instinctive trap of them saying there's no more budget and us cutting our price in order to meet their budget. And I think other things I've seen customers do is, um, you know, in the, say, the automotive industry, there will always be someone else looking at a particular model of car or something. You know, there's only there's only one on the forecourt and another couple are looking at the car, so you need to get your order in in, in real estate or property. Um, someone else, there's always someone else looking for the house, looking for the apartments. The hotel room. If you think of some of those hotel sites. So the customer makes themselves and their business scarce. They're making themselves less available to you. Yeah. Because there's either the opportunity for them to go to the competition, there's more people interested in them than you, so you're seeing that opportunity for you less um, visible and therefore you reduce your price in order to make yourself more attractive. And actually it's a tactic they're using and you don't need to fall for it. And another tactic is really making you aware of your competition and your competitors, maybe even to the point of, as you leave your meeting, the competition are coming in, or the customer has the competitor's pen in their hand, or yeah. happens to have a copy of their sales proposal casually um, put to one side on their desk, and they're just kind of reminding you, or even not, uh, not covertly, overtly saying, we're talking to your competition, and they've offered a, they've offered a better yeah. price. Mm. So, if I was being sort of slightly sarcastic for a moment or facetious, um, every one of your competitors will typically offer far more than you do at a far lower price. If we believe everything that customers customers tell us, yeah. and unless your business model is seriously flawed, you've got to maybe go. How is that possible? How is that possible? How are they managing to stay in business? Yeah, <laughs> they keep no, they... offering lower and lower prices, lower and lower costs. Yeah, they mm-hmm. can't remain in business. They're always far more, far more generous, and I yeah. think that is that is a way of making them scarce. And then we come on to the concept of value and value propositions, and that if you do a really good job of constructing a value proposition that is clearly based on customers' needs and requirements, it shows how the customer can maybe save money, make money, increase something, decrease something, remove a problem, uh, an issue that's that, that's getting in the way, can, can move employee mood, engagement, morale from negative to positive, and you can quantify that to some reason. If you do a really, really good job of your value proposition, the value delivery should be far more than the price or the investment required to get it, and you should be confident 
you should be confident in that. I think my challenge to everybody listening is how confident are you of your own value proposition? Mm. I think because it's a very fair point. If you think it's really good and solid, then you are more likely to stand your ground than you are if you think it's a bit wobbly. Yeah. I think being able to quantify it is very important. Yeah. Uh, one of my clients years ago launched a, uh, a brand new product and uh, they decided very sensibly to pilot it in Scotland and Yorkshire uh, and they were able to prove beyond doubt that the savings uh, by, by using this new product uh, were basically in the region of you know five to one compared to the investment required to purchase it. Uh, now that's not a difficult sale because what you're really saying to the customer is well give me a thousand pounds or give me a thousand dollars uh, and I'll give you five thousand um, pounds but in six months time because that's how, how long it's going to take us to produce the return on investment um, and once they'd, once this particular client of mine had got that piece of research done uh, the rollout across the country was just absolutely fantastic because the confidence levels in the sales team were very, very high. They had a very compelling, proven return on investment argument. So they it's were waving also, the value flag big time. It's yeah. also a case study, isn't it? Yeah. You know, some proof. And again, showing uh, a new customer how you've helped an old <coughs> customer to yeah. deliver value, particularly if you've got a testimonial or a case study or a story. Yeah. The importance of selling stories as well, yeah. using stories in, in, in selling. Then, yeah, but it's interesting your comment was the sales force were confident in the value they were delivering. Yes. So they're far more likely to say, hang on a minute, you're going to get five times this. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I'm, I'm not. I, I can I'm remember. To, uh, I, I can remember years ago the uh, the Institute of Directors, and for people that don't know that organisation, a peer group organisation, as it suggests, for uh, board level individuals. Um, but they ran an advertising campaign that said that members of the Institute of Directors were. 20% more profitable than non-members. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're considering X pounds per month subscription and you are aware of that, it pales into significance Absolutely. because you've got the value argument presented up front. But as a salesperson, you've got to be confident in that value you proposition have. and not yep. downplay it yourself because otherwise you're more prone to then discounting. So I'm working with a a business at the moment and the item that they're selling is costing them a, it's around about a hundred pounds to sell um, and they're thinking of selling it for something like 170 pounds so they're seeing that as a big markup and seeing it as a gap so they can discount from that gap but I've established that the value to their customers is about a thousand pounds so I'm telling them sell it for 700 pounds you know, because the the value gap then is that people are seeing that they're getting a, what they perceive as a thousand pound item for seven hundred pounds, so they think that's really good. But the company I'm working with is going, but it's only costing us a hundred pounds, and I'm mm. going, that's irrelevant. How much? And so they're saying, but if we sell it for one hundred and seventy, we can come back to them and give them a discount one hundred and fifty. We've made half the money. They're happy because they've got a discount. I said, if you discounted it to six hundred pounds, they'd be really happy. Yeah. So. Not understanding the value that the customer's got means you're more likely to discount and more likely to harm your sales figures 
if you don't really so have a, confidence in the customer's value perception. That's a fascinating frame of reference shift from a our price is what it costs us plus yeah. rather than let's work out the value we bring to Why? the customer and our price is actually less relevant in terms of that in terms of yeah. our thinking. Yeah. Oh, perfect. So value value things in terms of what they're worth to the to the customer. Yeah. Much less likely to discount. Them. Yeah. I think the other thing would probably in, in, in a way of thinking a frame of reference is often the old idea that we wait until the end to start talking about how much it's going to cost you, Mr. Customer. Whereas I think if you're qualifying your opportunities properly, budget and costing should be coming up much earlier. You're talking about value creation throughout the entire process and actually actually moving on to the and here's how much it's going to cost you is less of a stressful sort of feeling because you've already been talking about it I think the last thing you should do is show your price right near the end I think you're at least conditioning testing yeah your va- and also do you see the value mr. customer mr. or mrs. customer test 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 then you're pretty confident that you actually talk about specific dollar amounts or sterling or euro amounts you, you know that you've already pressure tested that in advance. But then, and sometimes it doesn't have to be specific. I mean, insurance companies are very good at quoting a range. Yeah. yeah. Somewhere between 7% and 12 or whatever they want to say. But as long as they are saying something that is based around some research and some safe assumptions, uh, normally we are very happy. As the yeah. consumer, we're normally very happy yeah, to go quite. with that. And it, it, they will be using this tactic of, of dropping into the conversation, you know, those positioning values that so they will say, oh, you know, I, I noticed from the competitor's website that they're charging around about £100 for this and you're charging £200. And so they're, they're trying to position into your mind the need to discount to £100. Yeah. Well, you can play the same game by saying, well, the clients that we work with who normally spend £200 on this, start positioning their brain into the right position so they're not scaring you into discounting. Fascinating, fascinating. And um, as much as Graham goes on and on and on about why we shouldn't have sales targets, I mean, go on and on about pipelines and forecasts. Because if your pipeline's looking healthy, you're far less likely to feel frightened that you've got to close opportunity A. If you've got opportunity A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I all sit in there, less scarcity feeling on yourself. So yeah, I encourage you to think about scarcity as a, as a concept. Gentlemen, any closing thoughts? Only one on this value issue. Um, when you think about the uh, question that comes from the customer from time to time, how much is this going to cost us? Uh, in theory, the answer is nothing mm. because there may well be a price, uh, but because of the ROI argument, it is so compelling that therefore there is no cost. Interesting. I think the only thing you should ever discount is the notion of discounting. <laughs> that sounds like the title of Graham's next book, doesn't it? I, I shall just write that down. Just write it. Available from all good booksellers in about six to twelve months' time, folks. Now, I'll leave you with the words of uh, the great Warren Buffett, the American investor. Price is what you pay, value is what you get. So make sure you're thinking about which of those you are most focused on, folks. So thank you very much for listening to this episode from the Sales Chat Show, saleschatshow.com. 
driving your sales forward. An absolute host of episodes available from the Sales Chat Show. Uh, they're all on our website, saleschatshow.com. They're also all available from wherever you normally access, get, or subscribe to your podcast. Please make sure you subscribe to the Sales Chat Show. New episode every week, helping you drive your sales forward. So we would just like to wish you good luck and good selling, folks. You have been listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. And from everyone here at the Sales Chat Show, we'd like to wish you good luck and good selling. (laughs) 